0: This week I had a conversation with someone that I've had many times. In fact, Matt, you addressed this issue uh, as perhaps the high school students think about this. I was speaking with someone who perhaps, perhaps not, I'm not sure, is a seeker asking questions. You can often be asking questions but not really seeking, not really want the answer. But as I spoke with this uh, gentleman, the topic uh, the the uh, came up about well, what 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 about those who have never heard the gospel? Uh, what about the Hindu? What about the Muslim? What about uh, the secular person? What about the people who are here who might be agnostic today, or maybe maybe atheist, secular? And that's always a hard question to answer, like in about a five or ten minute conversation. But I think the question that really should be asked is, if everything is valid, what is the point of the work of Christ? What what is the point of God, if the scriptures are true, in the flesh, naked on a cross, being cursed, if any and every idea is equally valid, right? Right? Well, some people think that Christ's death was just an example of his love. He shows his love by dying for us. And uh, my response to that would be, and maybe I've given this illustration years and years ago, it would be like being on a chairlift. <clears throat> You're snow skiing. And then somebody that's sitting next to you that you love turns to you and says, I want you to know how much I love you. And then they jump off the chairlift to their death. You think they're Pathological. They're crazy until you get to the top of the chairlift. And the person running the chairlift says, who is that person that threw themselves off the chairlift? And they, so it was, it was my, my brother, my dad, my, my mother, whatever. And they say, well, you know, that person must have understood that if, you had, if they had not jumped off, it was not enough weight. There was too much weight. And so they saved you. Then there's a reason that the death has something to do with love. Now, what's important about the book that we're studying, and if you're visiting, we're looking at the book of Mark. And Mark, along with the other Gospels, but especially the Mark, is divided, we said, in two parts. the Who is Christ? Is he God? If he's not God, we waste our time. If he is God, we waste our time if we come in here nonchalantly. Just kind of sitting back, kicking back, enjoying the music. But we've also said that it's not enough for Jesus Christ to be God when Peter makes his confession. He, he says, Peter, that's not enough. Somebody has to pay. And so the rest of the book is all about the work of Christ. Well, we're right there now. We're coming to the triumphal entry. It's probably a week or so before the death of Christ. And we come to our text today. And uh, it's about blind Bartimaeus. It's about a man who's crying for mercy. is absolutely impossible if Jesus does not do what he's going to do in a week after this confrontation. In fact, no work of Christ on the cross. I would say to you, ladies and gentlemen, you are yet in your sins. And the wrath and curse of God abides on us. So if you would, I want you to turn to uh, Mark. Chapter 10. This is right before chapter 11. If you have your Bible, you can see it. It says triumphal entry. And they came to Jericho, and he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said call him and they called the blind man saying to him take heart get up he is calling you and throwing off his cloak he sprang up and he came to Jesus and Jesus said to him what do you want me to do for you the blind man said to him Rabbi let me recover my sight and Jesus said to him go your way Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is God's holy and inerrant word. Let's pray together. Lord, we confess to you that we're just as blind as Bartimaeus. If you do not open our eyes, we see but don't really see. And we hear kind of but don't really hear because it doesn't lead to seeing the holiness of God. And it does not allow us to hear the voice from the mountain giving the Ten Commandments. Lord, nobody can change. The Ethiopian cannot change the color of his skin nor the leopard his spots nor can a man change his ways. Lord, we're absolutely free to do what we want to do. The problem is We're bound by what we desire. Lord, I pray for at least one person today who has seen their end. They are willing to admit their sin and the need for mercy. Almighty God, would you speak to that person today? That they might see Christ in a way they've never seen him before. That you would take off the scales And open their eyes that they might see Christ highly lifted up. I pray that for everybody here. For our children, for our high school students. That they would not doubt. But that they would see. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. I've preached for a long time. I've done a lot of Bible studies. I've studied the scriptures. And in the almost 30 years... What I've discovered in preparation for a sermon, it's very important to say what the text says. What does the text say? In some cases, uh, both from a kind of a, say, uh, more liberal view, which doesn't have a high view of the scripture, or even a conservative view that does have a high view of the churches, often much is left out of the text. Uh, As a chaplain at Vanderbilt, and many of my colleagues... uh, scoffed at the idea of, of, of a pastor at Vanderbilt who actually believes in the inerrancy of, of the Word of God um, but because it has things in there like Jonah being swallowed by the whale and Moses dividing the Red Sea. And so basically, uh, a text is read by those who are not of the persuasion of the inerrancy of Scripture. And so uh, what they do is moralize the story. Lose the very power of what the text says. Uh, then on, on the other hand, there, there are those who are conservative, they're evangelical, they believe the Bible is an inerrant word of God, and and the text is is, is read, and then we move not from, to an exegetical sermon, but a topical sermon or a subject sermon. It might be about prayer, about marriage. And so the text is read, but then the rest of the sermon has nothing to do with the text, but what the pastor thinks about marriage. And I'm not saying that's all bad. I'm I'm not. And by the way, I'm not saying I get it in terms of translating it correctly. But then there's another danger, okay? And there is a danger that many ministers fall into that really makes people skeptical, and that is when they read too much into the text. They try to get too much out of the text to say things that the text is not saying. I'll give you a good example of that, parables, the parables of Jesus. When Jesus gives a parable, the question ends up being, why is he giving that parable? What is he saying about that parable? And what a lot of times people get off on is the, we, and the birds mean this and the tree means this. When the parable meant the kingdom of God is coming. That's the point of the parable. And so as I come to this text, you know what? I read a lot of stuff. I'm really supposed to do that. That's what I kind of get uh, paid to do, to read and study and to preach. There's a lot of different ideas about this text. A lot of things are, are said about this text uh, in fact, uh, some people would, would want to make an emphasis on the cloak. You know, did you ever pick up on that? I wonder what he's going to say about the cloak. He picked it up, he threw it off, he cast it off. Well, you know, I, a lot would say, well, that's just throwing away your old life and, and following Christ. Well, I'm not sure if I asked Mark, who was actually, would say, well, you better ask Peter, because I'm writing what Peter had to say. Uh, if he said, ask Peter, is, is the weather that's what that text means? Well, maybe Peter would go, no, it just means he was really excited. You understand what I'm saying here? And so it's important that we understand a text. It's important uh, that we read the text so we don't over-spiritualize a text and read too much into it. That's called eisegesis. And it's important that we look at the text and exegete the text. Now you might say, why are you saying this to me? Or or, or bringing this up? Well, because I want you to understand what this text, I think, is really saying. What is at the heart of this text? And who is this text for? Because you see, often people go to church and they're ever hearing, but they never hear. They're ever seeing, but they don't see. Because you know what? You're really deaf and you're really blind because you're really dead. You're spiritually dead. And so you come and you come and you like the music and this and that and the other. But the question ends up being, when you understand the work of Christ on your behalf, Jesus expects, according to Mark, that it, res- it leads to a response of discipleship and holiness and righteousness and interest in God. It's not just a bunch of information that says, oh, okay, I get grace so I can kind of go do what I want to do and uh, treat my wife the way I want to and my husband the way I want to. And lie and cheat and steal. So, before I tell you who I think this text is for, can I, let me tell you some things I did learn that's interesting about the text. It would help us put it in a, a context. Uh, the first thing to say about this text is it's in the two other Gospels. It's in Matthew, and it's also in Luke. Now, let me tell you why that's important. If you were to look at the book of John, at the end of the book of John, John 21, have you ever wondered what else Jesus said over those three years and everything else he did over those three years? We're just getting highlights, aren't we? You know what John says? John says, now, uh, there are also many other many things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Did a lot of stuff. And so when something that's three times in the synoptic gospels it's important. That's the first thing to see about this text. So you know what that means? You really need to understand why this text is here. Something else I learned is is, is that you look at Matthew and you look at Luke, I'll tell you what, it seems like there's contradictions in the text. Uh, In fact in Matthew chapter 20 it says, as they went out of Jericho a great crowd followed them and behold there were two blind men Oh, so wait, wait a minute. That's not what Mark says. Mark says there was, there was one. There was blind Bartimaeus, and then what's interesting? That's Matthew. If you go to Luke, it says, "And as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside." So it's not going toward it. I mean, coming out of it is going toward it. And so, if you really start studying, you have to go. Wow, what's going on here? Now, let me you, tell you what you're going to do if you're a skeptic. If you're a skeptic and you don't want to dig real deep, you say, "Well, that's why I don't believe the Bible." He's got all these contradictions in it. But let me tell you, when you've met Jesus Christ and, you, and you're going, you're staking your whole life on him and you read something that seems to be a contradiction, let me tell you what you're going to do. You're going to dig deeper. Because you don't give your life to a bunch of contradictions. And then when you start studying, you go, oh, that's amazing because you know what you learned in Matthew? It says that Jesus had pity on him. Didn't see that mark But you read Matthew. And you know what? Jesus has pity and then you go over here to Luke, and you don't get this in Matthew, and you don't get it in Mark. And it says, and immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, they gave praise to God. He gets up and he's glorifying God. I think that's the essence of what it means to have your eyes open. You're not living for your own glory. You're not, you're not just, uh, you know, what's in this for me? Well, another thing you learn is where it takes place, Jericho. It's very interesting, 18 miles from Jerusalem. It was the staging place for people coming right before they go into the Passover. And they'd all be there together, just great throngs coming to Jericho because it was rebuilt by Herod, and it was a beautiful garden city, apparently. And so everybody would go get their hotel reservation there waiting to come in. And you know what they would be doing? They would be singing Psalms 118 all the way through to Psalm 150. You know know what those are called? The Psalm of Ascents. It's when the people would go and they would sing about God restoring Israel. So they're all singing. They're all waiting on a Messiah. They all had this expectation. So there's a big crowd that's there. And then one last thing, and I could give you a lot of stuff about this. This is the last miracle recorded in the book of Mark. It must be important. Now, so what can I tell you about this text as I've looked at this text and I'm supposed to be a minister of the gospel and preach messages to you? Let me tell you who this text is not for. Let me tell you who this text is irrelevant to. You this morning who don't need mercy. You don't think about it that much. You know, I often talk to people, and if I've talked to you about this, don't go, oh, man, don't put your finger on me. And I, and I appreciate it, but I, I have, often have people say, man, I wish I were more interested. I'm just not that interested. And, and I'm just being honest. I wish I wanted to read my Bible more. I wish I really wanted to share Jesus Christ. I just don't want to. You know what I'd rather do is just hang out. Or I'd rather be part of the garden club. Or if you like me, watch too much Atlanta Braves baseball. Now, our text this morning is for anybody here today that you know that you're groping in the dark. You understand you're blind. You know, it doesn't say how he became blind. Maybe at one point he did say. Maybe he was born with blindness. But on the other hand, I've imagined, well, you know, what about, maybe he had a sight at one time. And maybe he lost his eyesight uh, in, in an accident. And so he lost his income. And so he's poor and he's blind. And, uh, and now he knows he's in the dark, and he, and he wants to have his eyesight back. I, have, I wonder about some of you who are here today, and you used to have the truth of the gospel. Maybe when you were in high school, and you high school students, let me tell you, I've known a lot of people in high school, college, they don't believe anymore. And if they do believe it, it's not, it's not worth its weight and salt. Because they never talk to anybody about Jesus, and they never have people over in their home and, and love on people and give their money. They don't give their tenth. And you begin to move away somewhere along. You you had the light of the gospel. You heard the gospel like the visible church. You're in the visible church and you're seeing the baptism. You're seeing this, but you're not in the invisible church. You've never had the Holy Spirit open your eyes and you begin to move away and you begin to hear the world and what the world says and you go according to your heart and the Bible says the heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, but you believe the world. High school students, listen to me. College students, listen to me who've grown up in the visible church. You must close with Christ. You must see that you need Jesus Christ because you are a sinner. Because, you see, people begin to move away, and when they do, all of a sudden the light goes out and it's like Bartimaeus. Maybe he lost his eyesight in an accident. But let me tell you what he knows about himself. He knows he's blind. And he's groping in the dark. So, let me tell you uh, just a couple of things I want to say for you this morning who know you're groping in the dark. And maybe the reason that you are groping in the dark is because uh, you have made your marriage miserable. Because you're starting to realize it's really not my wife's, not my problem. It's not my husband. I'm the problem. I am the one that's ruining my marriage. You know what a mess you've made of your life Maybe some of you girls here And I guarantee you there are women who are here who have had abortions you'd be, you'd be surprised And the reason that you had an abortion Is because your father talked you into it I've had that happen Fathers who are embarrassed That their daughters are pregnant And rather than loving them They tell them to have an abortion Or their boyfriend talks them into it And they listen to the world And they say, oh yes, this would be much better for you And you never told anybody. I've had a lot of girls. I've had preachers' daughters who've told me when I was a campus minister that they, they had abortions. Never told anybody. The shame, the guilt. Maybe that's you today. And you feel guilty. And you feel you're in the dark. And you feel like there's no hope. Or maybe you're the person who is a dad or a father and you screwed up your business. You screwed up. You made a bad business decision. And you feel like because of what you've done, it's the effects on your children, you see. I mean, aren't these real things I'm talking about here? Let me tell you the one that I hope maybe some of you have gotten to. That uh, you've lived your whole life as a self-righteous Christian. And, and, uh, And you're trying to... To be a good Christian and what matters is what everybody thinks about you. And because you've conveyed to your children that the gospel is looking good versus living by faith as a broken person. They've rejected the true gospel. And you've come to the point, you go, my self-righteousness has ruined my family. Then I have good news for you. (laughs) This text is for you. So if any of those things fit, or if you're here today saying, I know I'm blind. I need to hear Jesus Christ say to me come but you see it's only for those and you'll say well, well i'm coming all the time that's good you're starting to understand the gospel that his mercies are near every day instead of going years and weeks and months and never repenting in fact you know our confession of sin did y'all did, y- did anybody like get impacted at all by that confession of sin you say, well, da, 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 da And a lot of you people, you're Baptists and you're, you don't come from a, a liturgical background. You go, what are they doing? They're just reading a bunch of stuff. Right? And I understand that. But, you know, stick with it. You'll start getting in the groove. <laughs> but if y'all would, just turn, turn to your confession of sin real quick. Because this sermon is for you who read this and say, this is me. How little we love your truth and your ways. Anybody here that way? How little. Of all hypocrites, grant that we may not be evangelical hypocrites. Those are the ones who say they believe in the gospel, right? Who sin more safely because grace abounds. Who love evangelical preaching, churches and Christians, but live unholy lies. All these sins we mourn, lament, and for them cry pardon. Do you mourn and lament that you're like that? Then this sermon is for you. If it's like that, then I would say to you that you're still blind and deceived. It's to the nature of your sin. So, well, Pastor, you said you're going to teach on this text, so let's get to it here. Well, here's the three things I think that we'll see in our text that I think we'll all agree that are here. One is this. The man had a desperate situation. And the second thing to see is this, is that he discovered a God in Jesus Christ who's both gracious and able. And then finally, he discovered... That putting your faith, your faith in the goodness and grace of God. He discovered it changed the trajectory of his life. He's the one with a name. Why did he have a name? Because I think he became an active member of the church. Oh, blind Barnabas. Now he sees, yeah, Jesus healed him. And then what a blessing it would be for Bartimaeus. Maybe he was one of the 500 that saw Christ. He got to see Jesus Christ with his physical eye as well as the eye of faith. Here's the first thing to see is this. He had a desperate situation. Can we all agree with that? Would y'all say his situation is desperate? I mean, if I need to go back over the text, the text says... Uh, that they were leaving Jericho and the crowd. And everybody's around. And here's blind Bartimaeus. And what is he doing? He's screaming out, have mercy upon me, O son of David. And then everybody says, would you shut up? And he persists. Have mercy upon me, a blind beggar. Now, can I tell you why I think this account significant? This is a significant account because you see, you have blind, poor beggar Bartimaeus and he's asking for things, isn't he? But do you know what we preached on last week? Is this registering at all? Anybody go, oh yeah, you know what that sermon that Hal preached on last week? That text right before this text, that was all about the disciples asking for things. You remember that? And what were they, what were they asking? Well, they come to Jesus and they, uh, James and John, and here's their request: uh, We want you to do for us whatever we ask you. And Jesus says, uh, "So what? What do you want me to? Wh- what do you want me to grant you? <laughs> Remember what they said: that one of us consider your right or left hand." Now guys, this is right after Jesus said, I am going to suffer, be crucified, and on the third day I'm going to rise. Now let me tell you why I think that's uh, relevant to us. The reason I think that that is relevant is because, you see, we're always asking for the wrong things. Why do you come to church on Sunday morning? Is it to come in here and to worship the God who solved all your problems through his work on the cross? To say, I want to give myself to you. I want to tell you why I want to give myself to you. In faith, because you've demonstrated your love and mercy toward me by living the life I can't live. Dying the death I deserve and being raised from the dead. They're not asking for the cross. You know what they're asking for? The glory. Now, y'all like me. And you want your stuff, you want your things. I need, you know, I'm not feeling too good about myself. I need to come in here and take communion and walk back out the door. Versus Blind Bartimaeus. And Blind Bartimaeus makes his request. But let me tell you something about Blind Bartimaeus. He gets the double whammy. He is not only blind, but he's poor. Have you ever thought about that? He's blind, and he's poor. Now, we have some people at Redeemer that are legally blind. We have somebody here that y'all know, uh, one of our brothers, is completely blind. Some of you have some physical illnesses. Some of you have some mental illness in our congregation. Some of you have deep emotional pain. But could you imagine having that, and on top of that, you're living in the street. And he's probably poor because he's blind. Marginalized by the, the, the crowd. And as he comes, they tell him to be quiet and to shut up. Well, let me tell you who this text is for. Uh, it's for you who realize that you really are poor. <laughs> You're an orphan. And that, that all your righteousness that you've worked toward, all these things that you've been doing to accomplish things, or be this, or try to be a better husband, try to be a better wife, trying to live according to C- Christian biblical principles, is basically, you've discovered, fool's go. It's counterfeit money. And it's not going to get you anything in the presence of God. It will not buy one thing that would favor God toward you, and then you're willing to admit uh, that you're blind. I- I'm blind. I, I, you know what have I done with my life? Anybody feel that way today? I'm so blind. I screwed my life up. Then I have good news for you. The gospel is not for the righteous here. It's not for the indifferent. It's not for those who say, well, I wish I were more interested. I mean, I'm hearing this. Man, I'll tell you, I don't know if I'd want to become a redeemer all the time. And hearing over and over and over, I think the gospel of Jesus Christ and not respond to it. You know, that's why we do communion every Sunday to say, I need Christ, but I'm going to live for Christ. You know who this gospel is for? It's for you that know that you're a hypocrite. It's for you that have ruined your life. And please don't check out on me now. Because it's for you, don't go, yeah, that's for somebody else. You see, there were lots of other blind people. But he calls him. Why? Because he believed. And I want to get ahead of myself. So that's the first thing. Are you desperate? Let me tell you, if you're desperate, you can come. If you're going, I want to feel more desperate. Then are you willing to say, then God, would you just let me see how blind I really am and how desperate I really am? Lord, I just, you know what, I love the world too much. I just love my girlfriend. I love my boyfriend. I can't give up pornography. I can't do this. Then i tell you what. You come back next week, and you cry out for mercy because this Sunday you're going to say, Lord God Almighty, unless you reveal yourself to me in all your holiness the way you did Isaiah, you're going to be just like Isaiah, going to church every Sunday until God shows up. And when God showed up, what did Isaiah do? He repented. He says, Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among redeemer people of unclean lips. And John, as you so aptly said, uh, the cleansing took pain. It was a coal coming from the altar. You see, Jesus Christ came for you people who are miserable and in need of mercy to take your suffering and your pain and your darkness. Okay? So the second thing to see is uh, that he discovered a and, and powerful Jesus. You know, we learned something about Bartimaeus here, but we also learned something that Bartimaeus learned about Jesus as well. He learned that Jesus actually stopped for those who are willing to admit they're blind. You understand that? He stopped for those who cry out, Lord, have mercy upon me. Verse 48, and many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. And he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy upon me. And Jesus stopped and he called him. Can I tell you why that's so important that he stopped? Because until that point, you know what? He's moving straight ahead toward what he knew based on scripture had to happen in cosmic history to change the history of the world. And to change our eternal state. And he has set his mind like a flint. In fact, in the earlier passages you see where he was walking alone. I wonder what he must have felt like. Right? You think you got problems? How lonely he must have felt. Nobody understands what I have to do. And I've got to do it. And everything's moving toward the vortex. It's coming down to the last week. And he doesn't understand all that's going to happen to him. Other than the fact that he must bear the curse. But you know what stopped him? It was mercy. We learned that Jesus had pity, that he cares, even in the midst of his pain. Now, I won't tell you, this is very real to me, because, you know, as a pastor, I'm supposed to care about y'all. And maybe I said this a couple of weeks ago, and I'm thinking a lot about this, and I do care. I think, kind of, I mean, I, I do care a little bit. We have a dearly beloved brother, and I I won't say it publicly yet because I'm not sure how public it is, but uh, he used to be here at Redeemer and and, uh, and he's moved away and found out he's got serious cancer. And uh, four children, fairly young man, hard worker, done well. And um, so I called him on Thursday and we had a good conversation. Wonderful, time, wonderful time. You know, I'm trying to be pastoral and tell him I love him in the name of Jesus, and it's kind of sad, isn't it? Um, I'm glad I won. I'm glad I'm not in this situation. But you know what I did this weekend after I talked to him? I was worried about whether my fescue grass would grow under that oak tree. You know, I, I kind of, you know, have you ever thought about that? Okay, I know they got a problem, but I got a problem. You ever think about your problem more than you think about your husband's or wife's problem, or if you've got a boyfriend, girlfriend? You kind of thinking, man, I got. Or your kids have problems? Sorry, uh, I got a couple of kids here. I'm sorry, I sometimes I think more about my problem than theirs. But you see, that's why you don't rely on people. But Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who is going to go through absolute infinite agony within a week and he hears this poor blind beggar saying son of David have mercy upon me and what does he do? He stops sometimes we're too busy we haven't been shut up yet we're not stopping but I'll tell you what if you've been stopped in your tracks and you're depressed, you're discouraged, you've made a mess of your life, let me tell you you cry out to Jesus Christ He came for you. He came for the woman at the well. He came for the lepers. He came for the broken that are here this morning. And if you're not broken, I'll tell you what, you start praying that God would reveal his holiness to you so that you'd begin to appreciate the work of Christ. And I go, well, okay, I'm saved by grace. I know I shouldn't have done that. Rather than being transformed through faith in Christ, Who's not only pitiable and and merciful, but he's able. Because you know what he does? He opens his eyes. Don't go, well, like all the other blind people. Well, he probably, he's not going to help me. Yeah, that's probably not true. No, this man's faith brought him to Christ. And when he did, he sees the love of Jesus Christ. Christ had pity. And he healed him. Some of you need to be healed of your blindness. You're blind. You're dead. And you need the mercy of God. But you see, you're you're going to Mount Calvary before you've been to Mount Sinai, where the law comes first, and it comes with thunder, and whoever touches this mountain shall die. And you know what? They died. Do you understand that apart from Christ, you deserve death? The wages of sin is death. Well, one last thing, and then we come to the Lord's table. So he discovers that he's merciful and, and that he's able He's able to save. And here's the last thing. He discovered that faith in God's goodness and power changed the trajectory of his life. Would y'all say that, that kind of like you're blind and then you see? Would that change your trajectory? Probably go get a job. He probably went down to the Walmart and applied for a job. Or Zaxby's. Who knows, maybe he eventually owns Axby's. It changed the trajectory of his life. You know why? Because he was blind, but now he sees. And he was poor, but now he knows Christ. Well, you say, well, how how does this come? Well, notice what Jesus tells him. He says, "Uh, it's your faith. You're healed because your faith brought you. Now, i gotta, I got to do one very important thing here before I close. Does that mean that your faith saves you? Thank you. I have a good theologian back there. Somebody said no. You're right. 500 points for the... You see, most of the people in mental institutions, they come from Christian backgrounds who believe that faith is what saves you. Theologians call it a fideism. I put my faith in my faith. And the reason I'm where I am is because I don't have enough faith. I don't have a car. I don't have this. I'm broke. All these things are happening because I don't have enough faith. And, And friends, let me tell you, it is not your faith that saves you. It is the blood of Christ. It is the work of Jesus Christ. But let me ask you this. Do you believe he's for you? Do you believe his blood was shed for your sin 2,000 years ago? All your wicked sins that you committed this week. The ones you committed November the 5th, 2008. Do you remember those? You remember November 5th, don't you, 2008? Well, I don't either. I can't remember them because you know what? On November the 5th, uh, uh, 2008, I was to love God and people with all my heart, soul, and mind. And I'll tell you what I didn't do on November the 5th. 2008, but he did, didn't he? Well, not on November the fifth, but as a human being, he lived, he loved, and so no, it's not your faith in your faith. Faith comes to the object, and I'll tell you what. In here, you've probably heard this illustration many times, but if you have a lot of faith, a lot of confidence, and a little bit of ice, you're going to drown. Now, a lot of you people right now, you're putting your faith in this and that and what the professor says and, uh, and what scientists say and, and what my husband or wife says, or my daddy says. A lot of faith in that. You know what you're going to discover 50 years later? It was the wrong object. But if you just got a little bit of faith in about a 30-foot sheet of ice, you can drive your Cadillac across it. Because it's not your faith, it's the object. He comes to Christ, and guess what happens to him? He's forever changed. Have you been changed? by the gospel of Jesus Christ? You've come and you've looked and you've seen, and all of a sudden you get the kingdom of God. You see the reign of Christ. I had a, I had a young girl came to me a couple of weeks ago. She said, it's awesome girl who's been asking a lot of questions. I really respect her. I admire her. been praying for her. But she said to me a couple of weeks ago, I need to talk to you. And as soon as she said that, I said, I know what she wants to talk to me about. She said, I've, I think I've been, I've been converted. And now, now she begins to see everything in light of what she really understands. Has that happened to you? Have you come to Christ in faith and repentance? To look to him and what is the reward of faith? You know what the reward of faith is? He gets up and he goes, and he has a name now. Bartimaeus, somewhere in heaven. You get die and you go to heaven if God has mercy on you. You'll say, hey, where's Bartimaeus? He had a name, you know, because he was, went away glorifying God. That's the reward of faith. Do you glorify God in all you do? Are You're you involved in the body of Christ, the work of Christ, seeing people come to Jesus Christ. Why would you not do that? If you've received mercy, why would you not give mercy? I conclude with a story that maybe you've heard about Napoleon. And uh, a mother, it said, came to Napoleon seeking a pardon for her son. And so the emperor replied that the young man had committed a certain offense, not once, but twice, and justice demanded his death. And the mother said, but I don't ask for justice. And I plead for mercy. And Napoleon replied, But your son does not deserve mercy. Sir, the woman cried, It would not be mercy if he deserved it. And mercy is all I ask for. Well then, the emperor said, I will have mercy. And he spared the woman's son. Now the only difference is this. Napoleon didn't he wasn't just. He didn't pay the debt. But Jesus Christ pays the debt. Can I be so bold as to say you deserve to go to hell? Let me tell you why you deserve to go to hell. Is because God is good. God is just. God is righteousness. Just like we want these bombers to be brought to justice. Even though some of us are so corrupt, we, we, we just want them. Revenge. But you're the bomber. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. You say, well, no, I'm not. You say, okay, well, I'll tell you what. Do you love your neighbor? How about that one? But you see, that's why there's hell, because God is good. But you know, you don't have to perish because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we love you and praise you that you are the true and living God. There is no other. Whatever our ideas are that are about you, that are contrary to what you've revealed yourself to, that's all they are. They're ideas. And they won't save. And doubt won't save. And unbelief won't save. And that's justifying ourselves because there's evil in the world it doesn't mean that we're not evil. And so, Lord, would you have mercy upon someone today, that someone would be converted. And trust in you, and and see Jesus Christ. Maybe they've already been converted. And so, Lord, would you would you work here in this city, in this church, in these people? Work in my life that I would be merciful, because I re- obtain mercy every day. And we ask it in your name, Amen. If those serving with communion would come forth.